0: Listening to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen May, this Wednesday afternoon. Let's turn to our first topic and guest of today. In the next 15 minutes or so, we're talking about play-based learning and why it's so important for children to learn through play. And I'm really delighted to be joined by Caroline Corson, who's an associate professor from the Academic Unit of Teacher Education and Learning Leadership from the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong. Welcome to the program, Professor Corson, and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Hi, Noreen. It's
1: lovely to be with you. Thank
0: you. We are also on Facebook Live as well, Noreen Mir on RTHK Radio 3, and you'll be able to see and hear Professor Corson there. And feel free to uh, comment on the page as well, and then you can drop your own observations and perhaps your own sharing and any questions that you may have. Now, um, Professor Corson, I know you have a special interest in early education, uh, early childhood education, and also play-based learning. Uh, What sparked your interest in this area?
1: Such a great question, Noreen. I think what we know from research is the earlier we go in and the, the the better we go in to support children's learning, the longer the the or the the greater the impact that we have over a sustained period of time. So if we go in sort of we talk about going in hard and early to support children's um thinking and learning and language skills, it impacts on lifetime learning trajectories. So I think that's what gets me. We have the most impact in the early years.
0: Absolutely. I was speaking to a paediatrician in yesterday's program who talked about sort of early childhood intervention, especially for children who have extra or special education needs. And it can really change the pathway of learning and and really help them unlock a a, a range of abilities, um, had it not been sort of the the early intervention. Um, One of your special interests is in play-based learning. Um, before, I, th- I think it's important to note that you know part of it is the importance of play. So, why is play and playing so important for children?
1: Um, again, that's such a great question. It's an enormous question. We could talk about it for weeks, let alone fifteen minutes. I think what you know what we know is that parents are children's first teachers, and so if you think about where that earliest play happens, it happens in the home environment. And it happens in informal relationships with children, where there's warm, responsive caregiving, where we've got back and forth um, conversations between an adult and a child. And so we know as well, um, and I know this is a popular term in Hong Kong, we know that play helps children to win at the starting line. So this is a phrase that we hear all the time here. And, and play does exactly that, because when children are playing, they're following um, an interest that's intrinsically motivated. It's something that they're not being told to do, they're really interested in doing. If you do, if we think about ourselves as adults, if we're doing something that we're really interested in for ourselves, it helps us to pay attention. We ignore distractions. The longer we think, the deeper we think. You know, when adults, whether it's parents or teachers in kindergarten come in and join the child in their play, They can ask really strategic questions that encourage the child to think more broadly. They introduce new language, so the child is being exposed to advanced language and actually producing more advanced language. So there are multiple cognitive and emotional um, and language oriented benefits of play.
0: Trouble is a lot of the times adults aren't very playful or or somehow we lose our playfulness or it's not the same sort of playfulness or maybe as children ourselves, we didn't have that method of learning. So a lot of times our learning is very sort of regimented and, and we learned in a certain way. So how can adults regain that playfulness to assist children with their learning?
1: Yeah, play is very much sort of um, what play looks like is very much influenced by culture and context. We know that. So a child growing up in in downtown Hong Kong, their play might look completely different from somebody who's grown up in a geographically remote area in a different part of, of um know any country really so the the great thing about play is you don't need to have fancy materials you know you can you can be playful in anything that you're doing so whether you're looking at an advert in the mtr or whether you are whether a child's playing with blocks you know from a from a child's point of view that that block can can be transformed into a telephone or a dog or a or a fire engine you know so a lot of a lot of what we need to be do is, doing as adults is is letting the child lead the play. Because if the child is leading the play and then we come in and respond to what the child has initiated, um, it sets up opportunities for the things I was talking about earlier, you know, the back and forth, the conversations, the counting, the looking at the shape, the looking at patterns, all of those key issues that we know come out of early math. Ed, you, you can use basically as strategies in any context and so I guess the, the key thing for us as adults, even if we aren't used to being um, to, to playing per se, is to have those warm, responsive engagements with children and to let the children lead the talk and lead the play. Um, and by asking children to explain their thinking, like why do you think that's a telephone? Or how do you think that could be? You know, getting them to justify their thinking and their comments. Um, sets up opportunities for us to come in and support them. And in the context of kindergarten education, what we'd be talking about there is what we call scaffolding. So the teacher is quite specifically using those sorts of conversations to assess what the child knows already and to plan for next steps in their learning. But in the home environment, what it does is it sets up opportunities for parents to really engage with their children and to to find out more about the children and what their interests are as well. So there, there are multiple benefits to taking this approach.
0: Yeah. A lot of the adults listening may be thinking, well, children already play. Um, so, um, you know, why do they sort of need play upon play? So they play already. Why do they need to then learn through play? But I think you've answered all of those questions as well.
1: Okay. I think there's also an, an understanding sometimes that play automatically means free play where children are provided with materials or play resources or toys, let's call them in a home environment. Um, and, and that's it, the adult stands back and doesn't engage. And what we know from research around play is that there are multiple different forms of play and many different definitions of play. So the you know the, the, at times it is important for children to have free play and exploration. And we see that reflected in the curriculum guidelines um, for Hong Kong, but that takes a lot of time. Because for a child to become deeply absorbed in their play and then, um, you know, for that imaginative thinking and the social interactions to emerge during the play, it takes time and that can be a constraint in in a really busy curriculum. So so this is why we need play upon play because play takes different forms at different parts of a child's day different parts of their life.
0: Yeah, that's an that's an excellent point Professor Corson because there are different types of play. I think I read those sort of as you mentioned free play, there's also another type guided play. Can you perhaps explain right. those a little bit to our listeners?
1: Sure. So we talk about free play when the child is provided with play materials and they play independently. Um well, I say independently, they may have other children with them. But there's no specific guidance around what the play looks like so in in terms of intentional teaching practice the unless somebody walks into a room and accidentally drops the toys on the floor we would say that all play is intentionally guided by the teacher because the teacher has made those resources available to a child so for example if you let's use an example of block construction if you've got a part of a kindergarten classroom where there are lots of wooden blocks If it's free play or free exploration, the child is just playing with the blocks. If it's guided play, the teacher will have some um, really clear, broad directions that they're hoping the child may go. So the teacher may then join in at times and talk about, oh, look at that rectangular block. And if we put two triangular blocks together, what shape does it make? And can these blocks stack or will they roll if we stack them? So you can see that there are more specific Um, Foki coming into play, more specific learning objectives, looking at attributes of shapes or supporting the child learning to speak Cantonese or whatever the language might be in the classroom. But if we talk about teacher directed play, that's that's play where the teacher is more front and central and the teacher is doing more of the telling and you tend to find that in larger group type um, teaching contexts.
0: That's, yeah, that 's yeah that's that 's an excellent um point. I was watching um, my my daughter 's three what well, my, my eldest daughter is three, and I was watching how her teacher was demonstrating fast and slow. This was all virtually via Google meeting, and the teacher had two slides and two cylinders. Uh, one of the cylinders had a smooth surface and then the other cylinder had a sort of rugged, um, sort of more uh, uh, uneven surface. So she put them both to roll down the slides uh, next to each other. And she asked the students to guess which one would go faster and which one would go slower. So to demonstrate fast and slow, but also for the children to understand different materials will have different frictions. (laughs) And I thought that was so, that's such an interesting way to demonstrate fast and slow and, and just, friction
1: <laughs> one of the reasons i love that story is we very seldom hear teachers addressing engineering and technology in in early childhood classrooms and that's squarely engineering and technology that she's talking about there so that's re- that's really exciting that is um, and i thought yeah, i didn't yeah, like yeah that teacher's like a keeper <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I'll, I'll mention it to her. I'll be speaking to her later um, also. Um, 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 one thing I, I noticed uh, on your website is that uh, you also have a special interest in uh, numeracy. Uh, you recently published uh, Numeracy Learning in Early Childhood Education. Tell us a little bit more about that, Professor Coulson. Um, and, and why is maths and, and numbers so important in, in early childhood learning?
1: Um yeah, Such again, you, you're asking great questions. You've done your homework, Noreen. Um, <laughs> numeracy skills really underpin everything. If we think about how you would describe, um, you know, I'm just looking around the room that I'm in at the moment, a doorway. You know, you're going to be talking about, oh, it's a rectangular shape, and how do you know it's a rectangular shape? Because it's got four sides and four angles. You know, we, we're using those sorts of skills all the time. And I think there's a misperception when we talk about numeracy that we're just talking about number. But we're not. We're talking about number. We're talking about object counting. So rather than the child just standing up and and rattling off um, a string of numbers, which is really showing the um, sort of the the counting rhythm or the counting, you know, the poetry of counting, um, counting objects is sometimes different. And we see there that um, children may be able to recite the number words, but when it actually comes to tagging an object with a number word and knowing when to stop, Um, And using those number words in a a repeatable sequence, then sometimes children's skills there are less developed than we thought they might be. And a lot of that is environmental, you know, because, um, you know, most children are born with very, very similar capacity. Um, You know, obviously there are going to be outliers, but capacity is there. And a lot of what they learn and how they learn is, is based on what they've been exposed to and this then starts moving into an equity space and for me this is really important we want all children to have the best possible opportunities to be successful in life and we know that we need we need sort of numeracy skills just to to work on how we get from here to park and shop you know you need to have a sense of, you need to know direction you need to go and know how far you need to have a big enough bag to put all your shopping in these are these are all mathematical concepts and the again as the earlier we go in um, and the more we support children with these skills earlier, the stronger the foundation is for later learning when they move on to school.
0: Yeah, and, and what sorts of activities would support that? I'm just trying to think, children love to to play shopping and groceries and handling paper money or something like that. Is that a sort of um, good resources or good starting point with, with some younger the, children?
1: The money one is a tricky one because, um, you know, you have one paper note that says $10 so that can be a little bit tricky. If you're thinking about numbering and counting and having each piece of paper that's your money worth one is more constructive than, than moving in that, in that money route so early. But I think a lot of it comes down to asking questions. And if we, ask, if we ask children how they know that or how did you work that out, it gives us as adults insight into whether the strategies they're using are actually correct or whether there's a misconception in there that we can then go in early and correct. So we you know we know for example if I think about two numbers 13 and 31 they're quite tricky because same digits but different sequence so you know getting children to show us how they understand what a number looks like or what the value of a number is gives us insight that we can then you know respond to and this this comes down to what we call in the in in early education we talk about differentiated teaching because all children are developing Um, In different areas of their learning at different paces and if we really understand individual children, we know how to come in and respond to individual children where they're at um, and to support their learning.
0: That, yeah, that's really interesting. I suppose it's interesting to see how children um make connections with numbers and also making a part of their everyday life because as adults it's you know we we use for uh, example money as, as tr- for transaction so it, c- so it comes quite naturally but for children they're not really surrounded by money. Well, I hope not. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite interesting to sort of um, teach them that, to, to make that connection via counting or other um, things in their
1: life. Look, you make a, you make a really valid point there, though, because we know that um, you know and. We live in a world and so what we want is for the early learning to be relevant to a child's lived experience. We want the number learning to be relevant to their lives. We want them when they're learning about, you know, when they're learning about the MTR, it's relevant to children's lives because they're experiencing it. So we draw on ordinary everyday activities to support children's learning. And there again, you know, it shows again the the impact that parents can have because they're undertaking these ordinary everyday activities with children. And there are lots of opportunities for warm, responsive back and forth conversations, you know, that, that help children to win at the starting line because they've established that platform, um, you know, that, that they'll build on as they move through formal education.
0: Yeah, I also know you train teachers um, as well. How are teachers responding to this? I mean, there's the other side of the coin is the teachers and perhaps teachers weren't raised with this sort of te- uh, learning method, but they've had to sort of adopt it as part of their teaching methods.
1: Yeah, that's, again, you, you're asking tricky questions. <laughs> it's that culture and context issue again. Um, you know, because a play-based learning is embedded in the curriculum guidelines that we have in Hong Kong, teachers are required to follow it. The extent to which they're able to do that, I think, is quite variable because of constraints like short programs, small classrooms, um, in some cases, access to resources. So I think there's a lot of willingness um, to to use these teaching strategies, um, but they, but it has to be done within the constraints of the, the context that we have here. Yeah.
0: Well, you're a terrific um, guest as well, so you're able to answer all, all the questions terrifically, Professor Corson. Um, what about the, the role of parents? I, I'm hearing a lot of sort of, it's very important, I mean, the, the vital role that parents play uh, at the same time, parents are very busy in hong kong a lot of the times they they don't really get to see their children very often or when they do it's maybe dinner time or bedtime so how can parents also incorporate play as part of their busy day and to support um support children's learning through play
1: i think you know routines can be playful you know when we're sitting the table for a meal you, you know how many of us are in the room four so how many do we how many plates do we need let's let's put them out let's count to check um that doesn't take a lot of time that's just really a a question of being front of mind and i think and and i was guilty of this when my children were younger my children are grown-ups now but when they were younger you are under pressure just to get things done um but you know, taking a, a quick step back and thinking about well, how can we be more playful about getting things done? So we're not necessarily about we're not necessarily talking about sitting down and just playing for half an hour. But what we're thinking about is being more playful in the interactions that we have. That we play with words, that we play with rhymes, that we play with language, that we sing. Um, you know, there are lots of ways to be to be playful in our interactions. And what we're really aiming for is, you know, you hear a lot of talk about 21st century skills. Um, and 21st century skills, you sometimes hear about the four Cs, collaboration, communication, critical thinking, creativity, those sorts of words. Um, through our interactions with children, we can encourage them to be creative, which doesn't necessarily mean drawing something. It means, what do you think we could do to solve this problem? You know, encouraging them to demonstrate creative thinking, um, That that's that's part of what we do, and that doesn't take time.
0: Absolutely. Well said. I really enjoyed talking to you this afternoon, Professor Corson. Remind our listeners once again, have you got a website or how can people find out more about you and your work?
1: If you if you Google my name and just put Hong Kong U, um, I think it comes up pretty quickly in Safari and you'll see there some of my key publications and the type of work that I like to do. But it's been lovely chatting to you too. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. And we've been talking to Caroline Corson, an associate professor from the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed for your time this afternoon.